3: Post your free job on linkedin.com recommend today.
4: And Mantha across center will dump in out of the Florida zone. A
5: deflection into the slot. Away from Forsling. Mantha picked it up. Center now on across. Ovechkin scores! Alex Ovechkin knuckles one through Bobrovsky. It's a power play goal. Ovechkin with goals in three straight. And it's one. Nothing. Washington. That's John Walton, right? Uncaps Radio. Uh, Denton's surprising me with a little hockey on this Super Bowl Friday, but I love it. I love it because we were talking about how bad the teams in town are yesterday. We did a call segment. could have taken calls for two hours on which of the teams in town will be the first to emerge from this all-time malaise in terms of the same... Number of teams, or the number of teams being as bad as they are uh, at the same time, but we still have Ovechkin to root for. So that's 833, which puts him 61 away from tying Gretzky. My question to you, Denton, since you follow this a little bit more closely than I do, is he starting to get into Alex Ovechkin mode with three straight, and is the Gretzky thing back within reach? Because I think recently people have said – Ooh, Ovechkin is dropping off that proverbial age ledge. It ain't going to happen. Is it going to happen?
4: Of course it's going to happen. Anybody that thought that he was not going to break it is silly. This man is not retiring until he breaks it, but he's starting to look like his old self again, right? Some of the shots that weren't finding the back of the net early in the season are now starting to find the back of the net. My guess is, I think this was goal number 11 of the season, 11 or 12. I bet he gets to around 25 or 30 by the end of the season. Still a lot of season left. I think he'll be fine.
5: All right. Um, Good for him. They lost that six losses in a row. That's not good. Uh, Clearly. Um, But we've got something to follow there. But it is Friday of Super Bowl weekend. Super Bowl 58. We got a lot on that today. Sam Monson's going to join us from Vegas at 1135. We will talk Washington football, including here at the start. In a moment, Ben Standig will be here at 12 to update us on the staff coming together, which included Brian Johnson being added to the staff uh, yesterday. Philadelphia's offensive coordinator this year did not work out for him as a coordinator, but he is a respected offensive mind. Uh, And he's coming to Washington to work with Dan Quinn, but more specifically, Cliff Kingsbury. Also, Tavita Pritchard will stay. He was the quarterback's coach this year. A lot of people have suggested he is a rising coaching star. Uh, They are going to keep him on staff. As I mentioned to you before, just because you get a new head coach and you boom the old coach doesn't mean everybody leaves. It's impossible to fill out a new staff that's uh, quality-driven when you're a new coach without keeping some of the people on the old staff because even if you got your choice of everybody or you put together a list of everybody that you wanted, not everybody's going to be available. Anyway, Bennett, 12, Sam Monson, eleven thirty five. the final smell test of the year coming up. 18 years of the smell test coming to a conclusion today. Um, 13 winning seasons, 5 losing seasons. I do have... One pick for Super Bowl 58. Might not be the side, might not be the total, might be a first-half side or total. Uh, that'll come later in the, in the show. Denton and I will do a pick segment, give you a final score prediction. Denton's got a bunch of prop bets that we'll go through here today. I will get to the Eric Biennemi story, which was very interesting uh, Sam 48, Nikki Javala in the Post had a lot of anonymous uh, quotes about the season that Bianemy just went through here in Washington. And let me just mention, Devin Hester is going into the Hall of Fame. Yesterday, we had Gary Myers, longtime NFL historian, longtime NFL writer, and a Hall of Fame voter on the show. And he said that if Brian Mitchell's ever going to get into the Hall of Fame, Devin Hester needs to clear the deck for returners. And he did that last night by getting in. Look, I think Devin Hester is the greatest returner of my lifetime of watching football. I think Brian's certainly in the conversation, but Devin Hester would be my number one. But him getting in does give Brian Mitchell, who is still number two all-time, all-purpose behind Jerry Rice. Uh, it does give him now, I think, a chance to be considered, whether it's as a modern-day-era player or potentially um, in the future as a senior committee. Uh, I'm sure Brian would rather get in as anything other than a senior. So um, I got this, and I just read this like 15 minutes ago. So I'm going to go a little bit um, – uh, I, I, it, it struck me. Uh, Gary – sent me the following tweet. He sent me this tweet that said, Kevin, I'm 32 years old. I've never rooted for a Washington team that had a chance to get to this weekend, the Super Bowl. What was it like? Question mark. Ah, man. What was it like to root for a really good, contending, year in and year out, sustained championship caliber franchise? I mean, it's been 32 years since Washington played in the Super Bowl. It's been 32 years since Washington was within a game of the Super Bowl. It's been 18 years, right, 2006, 2005, excuse me, um, but it was 2006 January playoffs. It's been 18 years since Washington was within two games of the Super Bowl. That's actually more remarkable than the Super Bowl streak that it's been 18 years since they've actually won a playoff game that got them into the divisional round of the playoffs, you know, the final four in your own conference. I mean, it's, it's been a drought that just wasn't possible 32 years ago because 32 years ago, Washington was coming off of four Super Bowl appearances Over a stretch from 1982 to 1991, they won three of them, lost one of them. Um, The loss was a painful loss, Super Bowl 18 to the Raiders, which some people believe was the franchise's best regular season. It was certainly their best offensive regular season, the 1983 season, leading up to Super Bowl 18 when they got demolished. By the LA Raiders, in what was, by the way, a rematch of a regular season game, one of the great regular season games of that era. Washington came back from 15 down in the final seven minutes of the game to beat the Raiders 37 to 35. By the way, there was no two point conversion. They had to score three times to get 37 points to take the lead. You could, it wasn't two touchdowns with a two point conversion. Um, what was it like? You know, for those of you of a certain age, my age, a little, you know, older, a little bit younger, that remember, you know, think about it. Because young people, and I've had my sons ask me this question, what was it like? Because you've had multiple generations that have known nothing other than not only losing, but dysfunction around the losing. What was it like? Well, it was great. And It also became something that was so expected that when they did it towards the end, and I'm not talking about 82 or even 83, but the 91 season, now it had been four seasons since they had won the Super Bowl. Okay, They won the NFC title in 82, 83, 87, and then 91. They were in the NFC championship game in 86. Um so you know over a 10 year period they played in 5 NFC championship games winning 4 of those NFC title games but i kind of remember it being incredibly euphoric and thrilling to start and then it just became expected Like You got into this rhythm of football season and you get into December and January and it wasn't about whether or not they would be in the postseason. It was about year in and year out, were they good enough to win the whole thing? That's really what it was about for the Joe Gibbs years. Now, for those of us that can go back to the George Allen years, there was a lot of that during the George Allen years, just not the same production in the postseason. But there was a feeling when during the George Allen years in the 70s of we're really good, but are we good enough? With Gibbs, it became we're really good, but is it Super Bowl winning good? And some years it wasn't, you know, A definite that we were the best team in the league, but you never counted us out ever. It really was, though, each year this expectation of, well, they're going to go to the playoffs. That's a given. And they didn't go to the playoffs every year, just so everybody understands. You know, they missed the playoffs at 10 and six multiple times, but they were good teams. You know, 82 was the first in a stretch of. They went to the playoffs, won the Super Bowl. 83, they went to the playoffs, went to the Super Bowl, lost. 84, they won 11 games. They lost in the first round in a stunner against the Bears, which was a year before the Bears became great. In 85, they went 10-6 and six and missed the postseason. In 86, they got to the NFC title game. In 87, they won the Super Bowl. In 88, that was the only year for Gibbs – following their Super Bowl in 87, that they did not have a winning record during those Joe Gibbs years, 7 and 9. It was a rough year, 88 was. It was an incredibly disappointing year not to have the team in playoff contention or in the playoffs. I mean, 7 and 9, that was that was wild. Like, what? You can't go 7-9 and around here, but because they had won the Super Bowl the previous year, you kind of gave them a break, and they had a lot of issues in the 88 season with injuries and various things with quarterbacks going back and forth. Um and then in 89 they were back on board and they won their final 5 games to finish 10 and 6 but they just missed the playoffs. How many teams missed the playoffs at 10 and 6? You know, not once, but twice during the Joe Gibbs years. And then 90 they were back on board, 10 and 6, winning a playoff game against Philadelphia on the road. Still to me the greatest revenge game in franchise history having lost to the Eagles in what was referred to as the body bag game on a Monday night in November 1990, and then going back two months later to the vet and beating the snot out of Buddy Ryan and the Eagles. It was one of the most satisfying wins as a fan of any team I've ever had. The most satisfying as a Redskin fan that some people will say the championship game against the Cowboys in 82 because they had lost to them in the regular season and it, it had been a long time. But no, the way Buddy Ryan and that franchise carried themselves, there was nothing better than going in on a, I think it was a Saturday afternoon, a wild card round game, underdogs, body bag game was the previous head-to-head matchup, and just beating them to a pulp. 20 to 6, it was never a competitive game. Buddy Ryan runs off the field, won't shake Joe's hand. Awesome. 91 Super Bowl, 14 and 2, the greatest all around team uh, in franchise history and one of the great teams of all time. What was it like? It was each year knowing that you were one of the two best franchises in the NFL. It wasn't the Cowboys anymore, it wasn't the Steelers anymore. Anymore. It wasn't the Raiders with their rebellious Al Davis teams. The Redskins and the 49ers, for a decade and a half, were the best franchises in the league. Now, Dallas came back and Pittsburgh's always been a great franchise, don't get me wrong. But Washington and San Francisco were the two marquee teams in the 80s into the early 90s. And then the Cowboys, you know, joined the fray once again. But Washington and San Francisco were better franchises than the Giants, better franchises uh, than Chicago or uh, a team like Denver or Miami in the AFC or even Buffalo. You knew you were rooting for not only the best one of the two best franchises in the game. I think what was the hallmark for me of those years is I always felt like with Bobby Bethard, and Joe Gibbs, that even if we didn't have the most talented team, we were the smartest team. And we were the smartest team in a way where we never talked about being smart. It was the most humble group of champions of all time. Now, yes, there were pockets on the team, the Hogs and the Smurfs and the Fun Bunch and all of that. The player stuff was great, but organizationally, There was never any touting, never any self-touting, never any self-promoting. Gibbs was the opposite of that. Gibbs always wanted to sneak up on people. I don't even know if he did it intentionally. It just wasn't his nature to self-promote. He was afraid to self-promote. He thought it was a competitive disadvantage. The style of the team, physical every year. But also adaptable to the talent that they had had, you know, in the moment. But never told you they were coming. Never told you, "Hey, we're going to be NFC East champs." Hey, this is Hogs 2.0. Hey, this is the Capital Defense or whatever they came up with the name of their def- you know their defense that year. That it was just horrendous. They basically downplayed everything and kicked everybody's ass. And then there was just this feeling when you got into the colder holiday, December, January time frame, you know, and you're younger as I was and you're going out all the time and you're in bars and, you know, hail to the Redskins just breaks out in unison. That was a given. During that time of the year, a Friday or a Saturday night before a big game, you're at any bar down in Georgetown, Adams Morgan, didn't matter where you were, inevitably – hail to the Redskins, would just break out spontaneously. The love affair that this town had with the team, and it was a different city. It was smaller. It was more parochial. It was just different. It was not as cosmopolitan. It was not as Northeastern in personality like it is today. Um, Yes, culturally, it was always something interesting. Interesting. Education wise, healthcare wise, that was always a big part of what this city was with the professionals, with the education level, with, you know, in part because of the federal government. Um, But we didn't have high tech in Northern Virginia. That was just starting. We didn't have biotech in Montgomery County. We didn't have a lot of the things that we have. We didn't have a city of neighborhoods like we have now. Thank you, Abe Poland, for that. But man, we had the Redskins. And it was unbelievable in terms of the passion. And when the season started, people were pumped. And then when the season went on and you got to the biggest games of the year, because you expected, you expected to get to that point in the season where you would have these big games. And then they would happen and it just the whole city came together. The tickets were impossible to get to RFK. If you didn't have season tickets, good luck. If you didn't have if you didn't have season tickets, you were thrilled when somebody gave you a preseason game ticket. You know, a season ticket holder, you know, saying to somebody who doesn't have season tickets, "Hey, you want to go to a game? I got two for you for the preseason game against Cincinnati." And they would be over the moon at the opportunity to just go see the team at RFK Stadium. It was insane. It was so great. It was also towards the end. It got to the point where it was so expected. Like I've watched the Atlanta, um, you know, the Atlanta game, which was played in the rain and the mud. Uh, the seat cushion game when they came flying out at the end of the game. I've watched the Detroit NFC Championship game. Both of those games exist on YouTube. We expected to win those games, and so there was sort of this feeling of anticlimactic. It wasn't that you weren't as into it, but you weren't as hungry. The best feeling when you win big is that first time, when there's such a hunger for it. The 82 season, which was strike-shortened, but when you got to the end of the season and Washington was the number one seed, and they're going through these postseason games against Detroit, and then Minnesota, and then Dallas, the hunger, the bloodthirst to win, and then, oh, by the way, on top of it, you got a chance to play your arch-rival to get to a Super Bowl, it was different than it was later on because it was surprising and there was such an incredible thirst for it. And the thirst kind of waned. The passion didn't. The support didn't. If anything, it increased. But there's just there, there, there was this feeling of, well, we're going to win. We're going to win 11 games. We're going to win, you know, a playoff game. I mean, hell, Joe Gibbs... After winning in 82 and then after getting back and losing in 83, they lost to the Bears after they won the division in 84. So it was the only time, by the way, um, I don't know if people know this, it's the only time in franchise history that Washington's won back-to-back division titles. Now, technically – You know, the 82 season wasn't a division year because they went to conference standings and the top eight qualified for the postseason because of the strike, but they would have won the division had it been a division format in 82, and it would have been three straight years of winning the NFC East. As much success as they had, you know, during that stretch, they didn't go back-to-back as division champs except for one time, and that was 83-84. Again, 82 would have been, but, you know, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked here. So when they went into the postseason, as you know, in '86 they they had finished second behind the Giants, who had that great '86 season. But they were still the Redskins. Like nobody discounted the possibility of them making a run to the Super Bowl. You know, they had been to two out of the last three Super Bowls. They were the second best team you could have argued that year in the NFC, and it proved out so because they went to Chicago and won at Soldier Field. They went to Chicago in back-to-back years, road playoff games, and beat those badass Bears. Now, Doug Flutie started one of those games because Jim McMahon was hurt, but the Bears coming off that 85 season, one of the greatest seasons in history, the next two years— Went, I think it was fifteen and one or fourteen and two. One of those seasons, um, and maybe twelve and four. The others, I'm going to look that up real quickly. In '86, the Bears were fourteen and two. Then they went eleven and four uh, in '87. Uh, that was another strike-shortened season, and they played fifteen games. And Washington went in there in back-to-back years and won on the road. That was like the beginning of Gibbs proving. Yeah, it doesn't matter about the regular season. We're built for the big moment. You know, they did it again in 90. They did it in 87 when they went to the Super Bowl. They beat the Bears on the road. Then they got lucky in not having to face the 49ers who got upset by Minnesota, beat Minnesota, and then 90 they go on the road and they beat the Eagles. And then 91 they had home field. What was it like? It was the greatest. It's so great for a city to have that kind of passion for one team. It was a unifier like nothing else has ever been. And in some towns, you don't have to win for the team to be a unifier. The problem with the last 25 years is it wasn't a unifier because people checked out because it wasn't just about the losing, it was about just the behavior. It was terrible we had gone from this classy organization to low rent scum for 25 years 32 years in counting since the last super bowl and really 31 years in counting since the last time this organization was the organization that i grew up with but gary i appreciate that because i i don't know how you know people your age people my son's age it, I, 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 real, I, It's not that it's the first time I've realized it at all. I've thought about it a lot, but you missed out. God, you've missed out. Um, yeah, we did, and it sucks. Yeah. Uh, 301-230-0980. 301-230-0980. I, I just read this before the show, so I was just sort of freewheeling it there. But I want to hear from those of you who if you got asked, what I got asked, what was it like? How would you describe it? 301 It's the Kevin Sheehan Show on the Team 980 and theteam980.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call
0: silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
5: Ace Law listener lines are open. A lot of you want to weigh in on how you would answer the question that I got from Gary, which was, Kevin, I'm 32. I've never rooted for a Washington team that had a chance to get to a Super Bowl. What was it like? Um, From Devin, Devin writes, Sheehan, when you described the breaking out of Hail to the Redskins. I can remember being in Winston's one night before a playoff game, and it must have been sung 12 times in the bar. Yeah, that was a given. You know, whether you were at 3rd Edition or Garrett's or the Guards or the Tombs or it didn't matter where you were in Georgetown. That was a given, especially that time of year. There was something incredibly – you know, like it was – very community like um maybe more small town like than what would it what it would be like today maybe i don't know we saw some incredible reactions to the nats and the caps during their runs that was really cool to watch down in Chinatown with the caps during that run and with the nats of course in 2019 but you just don't know what um It was like to root for a franchise that was at the top of the heap in their sport because they really were. It was the 49ers in Washington. Their success in the 80s into the early 90s topped that of the Giants, of the Bears. And Washington was, San Francisco was to a certain degree too, but it was more than just the winning. It was just the class organization that they were. You know, with an incredible general manager, supportive ownership, even though obviously Jack Kent Cook was, you know, uh, a a unique guy for sure. But the combination of Bobby and Joe and then Charlie and Joe, you just had the best. Um, And back then, you know, to be honest, quarterback, it was important for sure, but it wasn't as important. You know, it was just a different game. Joe Gibbs, we know, the only coach in NFL history to win the Super Bowl with three different quarterbacks. Imagine if he did that in this day and age. It'd be nearly impossible to pull off. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was a cool time to be in this city and to be a fan of this team. Everything else in town paled in comparison it still does numbers wise all right just not at the disparity that it was back then but it was special it was very um it was a unifier like i don't know we we have uh in a city like ours that is incredibly political and incredibly divided at times this was the number one unifier i think of all time for for our town all right a lot of you want to weigh in on how you would answer Gary's question when he said what was it like uh let's start with Bob in Columbia. Bob go ahead
6: yeah the uh couple of things you forgot to mention crazy horse right next to Winston <laughs> well there's lots right of places there, i forgot is... to
5: mention of course nathan's <laughs> and yeah that's i mean where
6: uh, jack kent cook's uh wife drove
5: oh yeah by marlena or
6: her boyfriend on the hood, of her <laughs> on the car hood of the or whatever
5: car. yeah <laughs>
6: But um, the thing I, that stands out to me as specific concrete example, or a couple of them, was, um, first of all, people were hanging bedsheets out That's of there. And I'm old enough to remember 72 and 82. And they both felt like the first time. And right. if we ever get back there, it'll feel like the first time again. Um, but, yeah, no, there were pictures in the paper people would spray paint, big bedsheets saying, you know, hail to the Redskins or go hogs or beat miami um the media you know there was no social media per se but there was tv radio newspapers they would all you know uh, the all news radio station everybody would come in and come out leading with the redskins story you know that was the big thing or like you know the all news would play hail to the redskins coming in and out of commercial breaks it was the lead story on the front page of the newspaper, lead story on the television news, not just sports. So, and you know, like you say, the community spirit was just off the hook. So whether you were in Georgetown or in a suburb, you know, people were wearing their Redskins regalia and just high-fiving each other. And it really was a unifier, it didn't matter, you know, young or old, black or white, you know, suburb, city, everybody was just, you know, with the water cooler, very high on the whole thing, and I hope we get that spirit back. I'm optimistic, but um, I would just tell people that weren't there back at the day that it was just off-the-hook excitement. And I never took it for granted year from year, you know, that we'd ever get back there again, but we did get back there again quite
5: often. (laughs) Yeah, we did. And even when we didn't, we were still good. You know, it wasn't like we ever fell off – the cliff for 2 years um you know your your initial comment bob and thanks for the call i really appreciate it You know, I I don't know if that happens in Kansas City, you know, in San Francisco and the places that have won a lot recently, but that was always a big deal. First of all, just the hanging the banners in the stadium. If you watch any game from the 80s or 70s, 80s, maybe even to the 90s, just the banners that people would bring and hang and the signs and the whole thing. I, I don't think we do that nearly as much. But what you suggested, bed sheets and banners hanging from buildings around town, it was so so commonplace before a big game. I mean, if you're driving downtown, you, you know, you're on K Street, you're looking at buildings and there are banners hanging off buildings, go hogs, you know, hail to the Redskins beat the, you know, you know, we hate Dallas. We want Dallas. Um, all of that. Um, Chuck, Chuck and PA, uh, Gary asked me via Twitter, He's 32. He said, I've never rooted for a Washington team that had a chance to get to the Super Bowl. What was it like? Go ahead. How you doing, Kevin?
7: Yeah, uh, I just wanted to back up a little bit. How it got to that point where it was what you're talking about during the Gibbs era. and I started following them in 58. The Redskins were losers up into the 60s. The biggest change that ever – there was interest in the Redskins then, but when it got to the level – of the fever pitch, where really, you know, was when Sonny Jurgensen came from Philadelphia. They was still losers with Jurgi, but he brought. He was the biggest change of, in the history of, of this franchise to elevate it up. Then, then they brought in uh, Lombardi, and and ever, and, and the expectations were fantastic. And I believe he would have won numerous Super Bowls had he lived. Then they had that year of. Bill Lawson was the failure. Then it really started. It started That's with That's when it really Allen. started.
5: You just got – 71, Chuck, is the beginning of what we went through for 25 to 30
4: years. Uh, Even It, it you was know,
7: unbelievable. I remember yeah. the day when Allen made that big ram richkin trade and all that, yep. and uh, then it, he had his run. Then Pardee was there for a year, and that was no good. And then he, he brought was there in Joe three Giff, years, yeah. And, and it was uh, – but I think – Jurgensen should get more credit. He elevated that the franchise. And because uh, I know where I used to watch the games, you didn't expect to win. All you wanted to see was Sonny Jurgensen drop back and throw footballs. You know, And right. do when the defense was out on the field, I would say, let him score so Jurgensen could get back and, you know, do his thing. And, uh but then he wasn't around long enough to, you
5: know, well, the problems he had with George Allen and all that, and then the injuries. Right. But, uh Thanks, Chuck. Yeah, that's where it
7: really started, yeah.
5: Yeah, thanks, Chuck, for the call. I mean, it's not specifically what we're talking about, but I, I love the the passion for that period because you're old enough to remember it. I don't remember Sonny, you know, during the 60s and Sonny during the years in which you could argue he was the best quarterback or one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the game. But, you know, what we're really talking about is that stretch where – Washington was the best organization you could argue in the sport. Uh, again, I would say from 82 to the time Gibbs left, it was Washington and San Francisco put them in some order. You know, San Francisco, uh, you know, won in the 81 season, they won in the 84 season and then they won two more at the end of the decade so they had one more than Washington during that stretch and then they got you know back into it after losing to Dallas in multiple NFC championship games in a row but it was the feeling of being able to root for the best in the sport for a sustained period of time George Allen brought a sustained winner to town now they were were not a champion under George Allen. They got to a Super Bowl and they were good and they were in the playoffs often. And when they weren't in the playoffs, they still had a winning record and were contending for the playoffs. Jack Pardee had him contending for the playoffs in two of his three years and probably suffered one of the worst regular season defeats in the history of the franchise when they were within two minutes away of becoming the number one seed in the 79 finale against the Cowboys. Uh, They may have gone to the Super Bowl that year, but Once you got Joe Gibbs here and Bobby Bethard made the right hire, it was not a popular hire. We've talked about that over the last week. When they hired Joe Gibbs, the reaction in town was, Joe who? But it was brought to a completely different level. And again, it wasn't just that they were winning. It created this incredible expectation every year that they were going to win. I am serious when I tell you, Gary – and I've told my sons and other young people, it wasn't a question of whether or not we were going to the playoffs each year. It was a question of whether or not we were good enough to win it all. That's a completely different conversation than most teams have in the league every year, and certainly this franchise has had for a long period of time. Even when they didn't make the playoffs, 10-6 and in two of those seasons. 10-6 and eliminated at the very end of the year. Um, in tiebreakers, um, let's go to Mike in Bowie. Mike, tell Gary who tweeted me what was it like to live through the years when they were going to Super Bowls, winning Super Bowls, and the expectation was Super Bowl.
0: Excellent question, Kevin. And, and something's on my mind, given the new um, state of the coach we hired. And so I got a I got a statement and a question for you. So I'm the youngest of three siblings. We had uh season tickets. We felt like they were like lottery tickets really cuz no one had them. Section 221, seat C- 222 and 23. My brother went to both Super Bowls, the one in Minnesota and the one in Tampa. I guess we hit the lottery and I was too young. My mom wouldn't let me go with them. And uh he went with like another friend and uh just growing up and seeing it um it was amazing. I I I think it also has something to do with the eighties because the eighties were just the best decade. Everybody was happy. Things felt better. But, you know, it just, it seems like we regressed as a society. So yeah, not only was it a great time, but it was like the, a great decade and, and, a, and DC is a big city, but it's still a small town. It feels like sometimes. And I know what you mean about being in Georgetown. There is a small town feel, but I think my, my, my question now is um, how could, how could we hire, somebody from the Cowboys they don't hire our ex-coaches they don't even draft our ex-players the only player I can think of ever in my whole life that they got was Alfred Morris because he was so good and we shouldn't got rid of him but like it feels like could be North Turner feels like I mean I watched him lose in the Super Bowl go 27 to nothing in the first quarter or half and then he's the one responsible for the the thing that happened in uh in New England in the biggest blunder ever in the super bowl and i understand whatever but still it's on his resume i mean really is that the best we can get cowboy coaches so
5: see I just, I didn't I, you're what not the, thought about you're that. not the only person and, and i really appreciate the call it was a really good call and i i you know the the seat locations that we were 513 13, 1, 2, 3. um aisle uh, my father always needed the aisle my father was 6'4 big dude uh, needed the aisle seat, uh, so we had the aisle seat at RFK. Now we were up there. We did not have great seats, but as you know, there wasn't really a bad seat in RFK. We were behind the Redskins bench at about the ten yard line, upper deck, five thirteen, row thirteen, one two three. I remember when the Nats played their first game at RFK. Um, uh, I just went just to walk up to those seats to see him again. Um, but anyway. Um, Look, as far as you're bringing, you know, it to, to present, uh, you're not the only person that seems to have an issue with hiring a former Cowboys coach, uh, an assistant coach. I just don't care. I, I the rivalry that was so so big and so important to all of us just isn't the same anymore. When they hired Norv Turner, it was completely different. By the way, Norv was a much more sought-after coordinator than Dan Quinn was. I mean, if we're comparing Norv Turner, you know, after back-to-back Super Bowls um, and Dan Quinn this year, Norv was a hot commodity, and Washington was still perceived to be a great franchise. Jack Kent Cooke owned it. They had Charlie Casserly as the general manager. You know, there was no – we were a a few years away from Dan – um, but I don't care. I just want the best possible coaches on the Cowboys thing. Uh, but I'm not, you know, I don't have a problem with those of you that are concerned. I just view our rivalry with Dallas, you know, very sadly in a completely different state than it used to be. Um, and as far as the Super Bowl meltdown, I, I think you can't just, you know, look, I. Actually, the game that he just coached in against Green Bay is more alarming than the Super Bowl for me. All right, phone lines are packed. I want everybody to stay there because I want to hear how you would answer Gary's question. What was it like to live through an era of rooting for one of the two best franchises in the sport where the expectations year in and year out were that you were going to win, you were going to be in the postseason, and the only question year in and year out was, is this year's version of our team good enough to win it all? Um, you know, we, we've heard people like Rigo before say it wasn't even – it got to the point where it wasn't about the regular season. They were always gearing up for the postseason because they knew they'd be in it. They were that good. And they were that much smarter. Even when they didn't match up talent-wise or it was closer talent-wise or they were playing a perceived better team, it seems like they always had a plan, and they outsmarted the competition. They out-toughed the competition. There was just something. They had an identity. Brains and brawn combined. Um, all right. Uh, Matt, Rick, Joe, Reggie, Pete, Singh, everybody else on hold stay there. How would you answer Gary's question to me, which is, he's 32 years old, has never rooted for a team that had a chance to win a Super Bowl, and wants to know what it was like when they had a chance to win the Super Bowl every year. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980, theteam980.com. We are free and live on the Odyssey app, and our Super Bowl big game coverages this week on Team 980 has been presented, and still is, by Solo Stove. Feel the heat of the world's most popular smokeless fire pit. Solostove.com.
4: Caps in action last night. Alex Ovechkin scores for the third game in a row, now eight thirty three career in his chase for Wayne Gretzky. Unfortunately, not enough. Caps lose to the Panthers by a score of 4-2. to two. NFL honors last night. Lamar Jackson won his second MVP. Joe Flacco wins comeback player of the year in the NFL. Miles Garrett, defensive player of the year. Kevin Stefanski, coach of the year. And a pair of Texans rookies sweep the rookie award. C.J. Stroud, offensive rookie of the year. And Will Anderson Jr., the defensive rookie of the season. Wizards on the road tonight against Boston. You can hear it right here on the Team 980. Tip off at 730. And that's what's trending.
2: the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
5: From Jake. Sheehan, didn't you work at 3rd Edition uh, during the glory years? I did. I did, and I enjoyed those years. And then Jake did make reference to the Mount Vernon girls. Um... Yes, they were lovely, Uh, and they would line up and typically make their way to the front of the line in front of a lot of people who weren't nearly um, as enticing to let into the bar. Yeah, I was actually a doorman at 3rd Edition. waited tables briefly, but it was a 3rd Edition doorman with my friend Rob Shin, with my guy Johnny Alexander, with my guy Reggie, working for, of course, Carl McCarty who seemed to run all the great restaurants and bars there for a while. All right, uh, back to the phone lines. I can't believe people remember that Uh, there were many more memorable people that worked at 3rd Edition, many more. My buddy Bernie McCarthy, Giles Somerville. Um, I mean, just one after another bartender that was legendary at 3rd Edition uh, during those years. Yeah. Anyway, all right, uh, back to the phone lines. Matt in Richmond. Matt, answer the question that Gary asked me that I read before the show, read at the beginning of the show, excuse me. He says, I'm 32. I've never rooted for a Washington team that had a chance to get to a Super Bowl. Tell me what what Tell me what it was like. Go ahead. I want
7: to take you back to the Dallas-Washington uh, championship game at RFK Stadium. Yeah. The game prior to beating Miami in the Super Bowl. Um, I was in Clarendon at the time, and um, Dallas was playing Washington. And you could hear the noise from RFK even in Clarendon. Imagine how far that is from the stadium. <laughs> but you could yeah. you could hear yeah, no, it cheering. <laughs> was it like that on the Maryland side too? Probably.
5: The the RFK sound, I mean, I, look, could you hear it in Maryland? I don't know if you could hear it in Maryland. It, there was nothing like the um, – well, when you left a game that you thought was lost, not everybody did this. We we were unfortunately very much like my good friend Zabe calls it. We had the ale theory in our family. Always leave early uh, unless it's you know a close game. But when you were when you left that stadium thinking that maybe it was a loss, and then all of a sudden you heard this roar. And you were like, "Oh my God, what just happened?" And then you could run back in if you acted like you knew what you were doing and get back into the stadium. Um, but yeah, no, the roars from RFK, you know, in and around that neighborhood and 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 further away, were incredible. Sure,
7: everybody was a it seems like everyone was a Redskins fan back in those days. My coworkers were res. That's all we would talk about with the, with the Redskins, even on also on Mondays, not just Sundays. Yeah. And, um, they were the topic of the town. They were the topic, especially on Monday mornings.
5: They were. They were indeed. Uh, thanks for the call, uh, Matt. Appreciate it. Let's go to our guy Reggie in Charlotte. Reggie, how would you answer Gary's question? What was it like during those years of being a
9: Super Bowl contender
5: virtually you know, every other year?
9: Um, so I would say... That well, first I'm I'm 46. I grew up in Richmond. Um, I was in the fifth grade when we won the Super Bowl against Denver. I was a ninth grader when we won the Super Bowl against Buffalo. I would say to him, it was nothing like going to school on Friday, talking junk to other guys that you know their teams were Philly or Chicago or whoever Dallas. It was nothing like talking junk to say, you know, we play y'all this weekend. It's not about if we're going to win. It's about how much we're going to beat y'all by. So, like, like, how much you want to bet. And it was nothing like coming to school on Monday telling them, I told you so. Like, I told you Art Monk was going to go crazy. I told you Gary Clark was going to go crazy. And the excitement, like, the two words is, like, excitement and proud. Because as a kid, a school-age kid, it was nothing like getting a jersey or a skull cap or Redskins football on Christmas and then going out in the backyard yeah. with your friends and you were your, your favorite Redskins player and you were doing whatever like Art Monk would do or like Rogers, or like Doug Williams would do. It was nothing like that. Um, That excitement. Um, A couple of things, Kevin, my cousin and I, we grew up in Richmond. He's two days younger than me. He was a Philly fan cause he loved Randall Cunningham. And again, it was nothing like spending the night with my cousin and then just talking junk all weekend about who's gonna beat who, what Randall was gonna do, what Doug Williams was gonna do, what Art Monk was gonna do. Um, and I moved to Charlotte in 2006 um, on the heels of the, the Tampa Bay playoff when we beat Tampa Bay in the playoffs. And, and when I moved down here, of course, you know I got my Redskins flags on my on my car and yeah. But since then, it just hasn't been because now people are like, man, when are you gonna be a Panthers fan? I'm like, never but it is harder now to say never because our team is like, mm, "When are we going to win?" and and it's tough. But back then, it was super exciting and it made you super proud to be a Redskins fan. So that's that's how I would answer. That's as a school-age kid back then, that's how I would answer his question. Yeah, so you know, you also
5: bring call. up something that you didn't necessarily intend to bring up for me, but I think one of the things that I found interesting over the last, you know, decade in particular is that If you don't live in the market, and by the way, the the football team will tell you that the, the the largest percentage of their hardcore fans don't live in the DMV. They live outside of the DMV. And by the way, you know, a lot of the numbers that we see in in our business, like I, you know, I can track on, on, on podcasts, you know, where the listeners are coming from. It's always a shock to me that, you know, basically half the audience lives outside of the DMV. Well, part of that is obviously because DC is a very transient city and you're a fan here and then you end up moving elsewhere. But I think what's happened, and I know this from friends of mine that don't live in the market, they are still so much more into the team than those of us who have lived the day-to-day over the last many years of the Snyder regime. And I think a lot of that, uh, this is just, you know, uh, projecting here in terms of why this is the case. I think when you live in a different market, You know, let's just say you're a DC guy and you're a Skins fan, a Caps fan, a Nats fan, a Wizards fan, and you're living in Charlotte or you're living in Indianapolis or you're living in Denver. You like to sort of promote your hometown. And you do that lots of times vis a vis the sports teams that you root for. You know, I I walk around my neighborhood. I see Patriots flags. I see, you know, Celtics flags or Yankees flags or college, you know, lots of, there's too much Duke hanging off people's, you know, front uh, door areas uh, for my liking. But um, I think, you know, in many ways, the most passionate fans of the team don't live here. All right, look, there's so many of you on hold, and I appreciate that. We'll do this one more segment, all right? So stay on hold. I will get to you. How would you tell Gary, who tweeted me earlier today, what it was like to live through the years in which Washington was a legitimate and hopeful Super Bowl contender year in and year out. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980, dot 980com We're also free and live on the Odyssey app.
8: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.